Welcome to today's edition of Pipeline Things as we get into the subject of SMEs and Ren2 of the updated gas rule while we also talk about the World Cup. So, Chris, would you agree pretty much everybody knows that the United States is the superior team to Mexico, correct? I don't know if you're qualified to make that statement. Oh. Have you reviewed my qualifications as an SME? Just because you have a PE doesn't mean you're an expert in football. Well, you know what? Objective evidence attests to that this year because we got to the round of 16. We hope that you will enjoy this episode. Look forward to deep diving with us on SMEs, and we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to today's edition of Pipeline Things. I am your host, Rhett Dotson, and my co-host, compadre, friend, business partner. I could come homie. up with all sorts of names for you. Homie, crony, there's all kinds of names. Um, all positive, all positive. But designated, understood, World Cup SME for my family. SME? Are you talking about SME? Yes, I'm talking about SU. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's uh, clearly... Uh, this is the once every four years where um, people in America, the rest of the world, watches it much more. Yeah. Uh, but everybody in America turns their attention towards soccer. Can you imagine the anticipation? So on average, and again, don't check my math, but I think the World Cup is roughly like every 1,500 days. So like that's kind of why it's a big deal if you think about it. You know, it, a whole right? bunch of people just try to do 356 times four in their head. Whatever. You know, it's kind of it's the whole idea of like, it's a lot. Why is it? My wife asked this question. Yeah. Why is it every four years? Do you know? I just I don't know the actual reason. I just think it makes it that much more exciting. Right? I was like, the Olympics are every four yeah. years. Why wouldn't the World Cup be every four yeah. years? But the, the, don't the Olympics alternate every two between summer and winter? Come on, are you not old enough to remember? It used to not be that way. Yeah, they changed that so they could start having like Olympic type events every two years. But yeah. when I was growing up, it used to be summer winter. Almost back yeah. back. So the cool thing about about football is. There's a lot of it to be seen at the club level, which is like, for example, this jersey, right? So there's a lot of major tournaments, kind of like the Masters every year or whatever baseball calls. That nobody watches, exactly. other than people who are really into football. Yeah, and uh, so it's pretty cool. And But this is a world stage, so this is really awesome. It kind of it gets exciting. Yeah, I, I saw so. I, We saw a stat, right, that I think the last Super Bowl, 100 million people saw it. And the last World Cup final, like a you know, billion people saw it. This is the second time he's dropped that, Mr. Producer. Yeah. I'm gonna I don't know if it's true. Up, I, I don't know like if it's somebody true. I saw, it, check. I saw it on social media, if, so don't check if me. There are ten times the number of people that tune in to the. I mean, one billion people. That's that's a lot. That's an that's eighth, like an of, the eighth of the world population. Yeah, that's a lot. That is. It's kind of like the Peyton lot. Manning Beckham commercials of football or soccer. I mean, it kind of depends, right? But it's really funny because, so, so you, you guys don't know, my family has to call Christopher. Uh, I can follow the rules, like I think some of the rules in soccer, but Caleb will get into the game and he's like, Dad, are they playing well? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> will you just text Mr. Christopher and ask him what he thinks of the United States' performance or anybody else's performance during the game and let him tell you what he thinks yeah. they should be doing? That's fun. So. It's always good. It, yeah, you know what, if you think about it, to meet some of the qualifications, Latino, played growing up, Watch it well, on see, a regular I mean, this basis. A Look, this is a chance for you to break down for the audience. I don't know how many people actually know that about you, Christopher, that you were pretty serious. I try to tell people, yeah. Christopher wasn't just like a slight soccer fan. Like, yeah. you borderline wanted to play professional I, I moved soccer to another in country. Mexico. Yeah, I, I moved to another country for a while to try to make this my, my profession. So, if, if you look in North America, I think the U.S. does a great job more now of structuring the development of their talent 
for like your your like uh, when I was growing up, it was the Olympic Development Program, and that was a great mm. way for you to get highlighted as a as a player. Then you'd go to college and eventually end up in the MLS. Um, but for example, like the rest of the world, like in Mexico, the club team, so like the Astros, would be if we talk about baseball as an analogy, they would find talent at as early as 11 years old and bring them into their club. And so at the age of 13, 14, you actually make money. And so they provide really? you housing, they provide you education, you're training every day, they, you have a nutritionist at a very young age. So like, for example, Messi is Argentinian, but he grew up in the football club of Barcelona. And I think he transferred over like 11 years old. So imagine being a dad, sending your son away at the age of 11 years old to be with Club Barcelona. I had honestly no idea or appreciation. Yeah. So it's different. I'm glad that you didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trajectory was way off. Yeah, so I, I got to play for for um, my favorite team, Rayados de Monterrey, for a little while. Um, oh. It's the Monterrey team, and so that's when I got exposure. I didn't get exposure until I was like 14, so I was a little bit late. And then more so, really aggressively when I was 17. I feel like when, we should have had a different Easter yeah. egg here today. Like, there should have been a yeah, soccer, soccer ball, ball or something. Or something. Yeah. Well, we kind of, wait, all right, serious question. <laughs> I feel like I'm carrying the segue way too far, yeah, but no now worries. I'm just all, I'm all into this. Do yeah. you still have one of your old jerseys? I have a lot of jerseys still. Wow. Yeah, I have a bag full of them in case Lover wants to wear them one day. Oh, yeah. let's see. I have nothing like that. For I, I, got oh, mounds of, I got mounds of trophies too, believe it or not. Caleb plays trombone on my old trombone from high school. That's the closest thing. works, bro. <laughs> that's how it works. Oh my gosh. Dad moments, right? That, that, that yeah, is dad, dad moments. moments. That's so cool, man. So, but yeah, so the World Cup's fun, man. It's been, it's been, it's been good. It makes, you know, you know what's interesting is it's normally in the summer and, and because it was in Qatar, they had to shift it to the winter because mm. of the temperatures, right. which I feel like is pretty cool because we're mixing it with holidays. You know what I mean? We got to be here Thanksgiving yeah, weekend, that. and you have football going on every day. I mean, the weather in Houston is pretty decent usually in this time. Caleb was just upset because he couldn't watch the game, so he said, it's cool. <laughs> but apparently true. his teachers all have them on, that so is they all awesome. watch them that now. Is awesome. so, uh, well, hey, you know, so... so Another so, funny story, actually, I want to say go, that. Go do so it. Caleb is getting exposure to football, soccer during the World Cup. I also saw on social media that the U.S.'s goalie, he got exposure to, he was a baseball player, got exposure to the World Cup the last time the U.S. played England 10 years ago, and now he's our starting so goalie. Caleb could be the starting goalie. He might goalie be the starting goalie in 10, in t years. In 10 years. I'll, um, cool I'll bring it up be? with him when I get home tonight and tell him what my right, expectations yeah. are. This is a pretty long segue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead. So uh, today, our topic is carrying on Ren 2, right? And we're actually going to be talking about the role of of SMEs yep. within Rin2. And yep. um, I, full disclosure for the audience, I want you to know when you presented me with this topic, because this topic was your yep. idea. So if y'all like it, you can let Christopher know. Um, if you don't, you can also let him know. <laughs> uh, but when you presented it to me, I was a little bit kind of like, eh, wasn't so sure. Yep. But as I, I read the background to uh, the introduction of, of SMEs within Rin2, I kind of got on board uh, with liking uh, with liking the topic. Yeah. A lot of what what's in here we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited. So what I, what I want to kind of open with a little bit is talking about uh, I call it the the what and why sure. of an SME. And I think to you you're just like that's not really that interesting maybe because it ties to you but the they place such an emphasis on it within Rin2 yep. and I want to read just a little bit of the background yep. you know but FIMS's perspective is in a risk-based IM approach data collection and integration is the backbone of an effective integrity management program absolutely right so that 
Right, but we, we gloss over that statement so much, right? This is the standard garbage in, garbage out. Yep. But FEMSA is saying, look, if you're gonna have an effective integrity management yep. program, the collection and integration of that data is central, yep. right? Yep. And then they said, you know, they go through and they talk about um, their ideas for operators, what they should have been doing. Yep. But they say the over application of assumptions in the absence of real data even if those assumptions are conservative, can lead to skews, skewed yep. or otherwise inaccurate analysis of risk results, right? Yep. And then they point to the fact that to the degree that subjective data from SMEs must be used, FEMSA would require programs that include specific features to compensate for SME bias. Yep. And that those three statements together, I think, provide the genesis of what we're gonna talk about today. Absolutely. Input into your data integration program is critical for the proper application. Because yeah. you're making decisions off of it. Because you're making decisions off of it. Second, you have to rely on assumptions, assumptions that are often based on SME input. Yep. Therefore, you need to make sure that that's valid. Yeah, right. and and let's put it into, into frame. And the reason why I thought this was important was we, we had to do this quite a bit when I was an operator, right? So um, let's assume your IAM program started around 2004, if we just, let's put that into perspective. And you're at that time, up until about 2012, when you were still doing your, your baseline assessments, what we're talking about here is threat identification and risk assessment, right? So what threats am I susceptible to? In those times, you probably didn't have all the data in a system in a way to understand what you're truly susceptible to or not. And so we leverage this concept of continuous improvement, right? So you do baselines, and then based on what you learn from the baseline, with the, the whole integrity cycle though, right? So I collected data for it, I did an assessment, I learned from that assessment, maybe I did some digs, I learned about my coding, my material properties. You then take all that and you reintegrate that the next time around through continued evaluation. And so the point is this, when you were standing up these integrity programs, you didn't always have the data, so you kind of relied on SMEs, right? Let, let's use that. So let's say, for example, you, you stood up this risk model because you needed one, and it was asking you for um, coding type. And they, you use B31-8S for SEC susceptibility. And if you have the right age, operating pressures, um, environment, and coding, then you could be susceptible. But if an asset that we had, we've been operating for 50 years, we never found SEC on it, but your risk program was telling you that it was your highest segment of SEC, but I have a lot of MFL digs in the last three years and we never found, we never found SEC, your SME would, would be able to calibrate that result, right? And say, you know what, based on all this data we do have, since we have a baseline, we did 20 digs on the pipeline, we never found SEC, I'm gonna shift that, that, that ranking or that potential. And so my point is not that that's accurate or acceptable, my point is to create a case to where this is why SME data can become so valuable, right? It supplements data and it's often the backbone for your decision making now, process. So you use SMEs to help inform a decision that you would make and I would assume those SMEs relied on some data. It's interesting because we go into this conversation, Chris, um, yeah. we come into it from two different perspectives. You yeah. often relied on the input of SMEs. I have throughout my career historically functioned as the SME. Yeah. But interestingly enough, often not the SME so much for these types of things in data integration. Um, I've yeah. functioned more as the SME as it's mentioned in another part of the code and we yes. talked loosely about which is 712. Yep. Um, and I do want to touch a little bit on the differences because I think we've heard that word before, but I don't think we've seen as much attention in 712 as we see it here. 
uh, on, on SME. But and, and let's define attention a little bit, right? So I want to interject there. So we've seen SME used in regulation through, like we mentioned earlier, in REN 1 through 712, right, where they basically say an SME has to review or confirm the results of this analysis, mm -hmm. right? And so we've seen that before, but I think what FIMSA highlights or what I wanted to surface in this discussion with our audience is they, they specifically want to you to address what I'll either call the bounds and the bias of SMEs and how you're accounting for it and, that it's, and, and also the qualifications of your SME. So in short, here they highlight that you qualify your SMEs or what makes an SME and how are you checking the SME's input, right? So it's less about whether it's 712 or 917. For mm -hmm. me, it's more the role of the SME playing in each of those so two So let sections. me ask you a question. Maybe you choose the answer or not. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned you used an SME and you yeah. gave a specific example. Did yeah. you ever encounter a situation where the SME was wrong? And if you did, how did you go about checking their inputs? Yeah, so um, I'm gonna make this personal through like my, my case point, right? So um, often when we were doing, in this case for 917 where you were doing threat identification, um, we would have to use often a qualitative measure, not a data-based measure to determine if we were susceptible to threat mm -hmm. or not. So we'd have a questionnaire. And so I would go to the people that were most involved with the assets. So I would go to the local operations team and ask them for information. And often because they have such a good handle of what's going on in the pipeline, that can often contradict what your system of record says. So let's say you did have this software that we paid for, we did the data integration and the results were conflicting. For me, hmm. often, this is my perspective, I would trust the SME in the field because they're boots on the ground and because they have a lot more real-time data to integrate as an SME, right? They're involved in all of the operations. Whereas if I had a software telling me, well, based on these inputs, we believe this is it, I would almost call it a lot of times dumb data. So for me, I put a lot of emphasis on my SMEs in the field. I'll pause. Well, when you say SMEs in the field, SMEs when you're in the field or SMEs that are actually in the field? Actually in the field, right? The guys that are close to the pipeline. So we, so th I think this is one of the topics that FEMSA wants to highlight in 917 is it's what qualifies them in SME. And I would say operators really need to think about what specific areas or data sets you're you're assigning SMEs to, right? So for example, corrosion tech in the field could be an SME for providing a specific data set. But maybe the, the corrosion tech in the field is not the SME for determining the threat susceptibility or not and being able to separate those a little bit. So you're jumping, you're jumping a little ahead of okay. where I wanna go. I actually sure. wanna, before we go there, I wanna take the audience back through 712 and 917 real quick. So yeah. I wanna read 917's identification of an SME. Yeah. And then, I want to talk specifically about 712s. I think you have the 712 reference for an SME. Did you print it out? Yeah, sure. You just, you're making that up. You, no, you I know just, it. Okay. Well, 917 yeah. is... SME's no code. Yes. I guess a code SME. It says use validated information <laughs> yep. and data inputs yep. to the maximum extent practical. It's talking about your, your, your threat yep. identification section, the revised portion, the data, the piece, and your risk model. If input is obtained from an SME, yep. an operator must employ adequate control measures to ensure consistency and accuracy of information. Control measures may include, we'll talk a little more about this, yep. training of SMEs or the use of outside technical experts to assess the quality of processes in the judgment of SMEs. So SMEs as they appear in RIN2 is focused yep. around the data that they input into your risk model. 
Bingo. How does that compare to how SMEs are mentioned in Ren 1 where we saw them in 712? Yeah. Here's how I'll, here's how I'll choose to say it. Because you don't have the reference on hand. No, no, I, I do. Um, I, I'll choose to say it this way. I think 917, there's kind of two components to it. One is the SME that could be supplementing data, right? So their expertise, their knowledge is providing the data. But 917 also has a component of now that I have the data, I need to make a decision if I'm susceptible to the threat or not. And so when you make that reference there about an external SME, I feel like it's important to understand what role they play. So again, my takeaway from 917 as a, as, as a consultant or an SME or having seen this for a while, I would say it's, it's important for the operator to understand what responsibility they're assigning their different SMEs. Is it a data component or is it a judgment or decision component? And what qualifies them for that? You then asked about 712, right? So I was wondering if you were gonna get no around to it. I was waiting, I was like, he's, he's trying to dodge no, the questions no, and print it out. I'm not, so 712F is very specific, right? So 712F says that all analysis in 712, whether it be cracks or metal loss or dents, needs to be reviewed and confirmed by an SME. Right. And it offers no information about what qualifies an SME. It just says what their responsibility is. But that's dealing more with the assessments on the back end. Bingo. This is dealing with data on the front end Bingo. that influences your decision-making process. So this is more results-based, yes. not data-based. and that's Which where is I'm, where I've lived most of my life. And so the picture that I'm painting is 9712 can have a mixed flavor of SMEs providing data and SMEs making decisions. And we're more used to, at least so far, FIMSA referencing SMEs as to making decisions in the decision-making process. So, um, FIMSA goes through, and I want to talk a little bit about this. They yeah. go at length in talking about SME bias, right? Mm -hmm. um, it said, and they say regarding SME bias, uh, FIMSA believes it is important for operators to address SME bias and data collection and risk assessments to account for the reality of how humans think about risk. Yep. Uh, it says operators should take this into consideration when incorporating SME opinion as fact yep. or when treating input from all SMEs equivalent. And they point to this, you know, they keep making harping on this bias. They do it yeah. even earlier in the segment where they talk about the fact that SMEs are subject to bias. And they mentioned several times some controls to SME bias, yep. which may include peer reviews yep. um, and third-party reviews of the SME. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about this from a personal perspective, <laughs> uh, because it may, it may surprise those in the audience to know, uh, it would be easy for me as an SME to say FIMS is wrong, but mm. I will take the position that I actually think FIMS is correct. Yeah, I, I want you to clarify. What do you mean by FIMS is correct? SMEs absolutely are subject to bias. Absolutely. We feel bias and, in, and I'm going to be honest, incentive structure in everything that yep. we do. And when you say incentive structure, people get scared. It's like, oh, here's the reality. Yep. I'm a service-driven individual. I love serving people. I love taking care of my clients. Yeah. More often than not, what my clients need is an answer that is good for them. Yes. We don't need to excavate this. This threat isn't as big as you thought it is. Yep. You can sleep at night. Yep. As an SME, one of the things you hate having to do is go into the room and be like, guys, it's as bad as we thought it is. Actually, it's a little bit worse. 
Yep. Uh, we need to take care of this problem. Like that's you, you yeah. hate having to, you hate it when you do an assessment. And you're like, oh no, this is yeah. there's no way out. Like yeah. they basically hired me to tell them what they already knew. Yeah. As an SME, that's a that's a very real struggle in wanting your 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 natural inclination is to want to take care of your yeah. customer as you interpret it by giving them a happy response. Yeah. Or another way to say it is it's potentially that's how you add value. Right? It's that value exchange, right? I'll hire you, what value do I get in return? And that's complicated. Yeah. And so that's kind of the way I like to think about Why it. Why did right? I call you, Red, if you were just gonna tell me I needed yeah. to go dig dust? Yeah. Well, because I just confirmed you needed to yeah, dig just it. Confer it's confirmation, <laughs> right? And, and what's what's interesting is it's that's what again back to the reference that you challenged me with, that's what seven twelve F is a, that's the objective of seven twelve F is it's if you're doing these analysis, you want that SME confirmation. And I think that aligns a lot with kind of what you and I, I believe are thinking is it's are you susceptible to bias? Yes. However, being susceptible and and it necessarily being a threat, I think are different, right? And I, I think that's where as as a an SME with integrity, you understand that you may be performing analysis or you may be confirming something, but in the end of the day, the goal is to keep the pipe what? Round sound and in the ground. Round sound and in the ground. And, and I agree. That's our overarching desire. I always have to see yeah. past the short-term objective to see the long-term objective. And the interest of public safety always overrules everything. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm not still cognizant of it. And I want to say yeah. something. A lot of times, again, consultants can get a little bit of a dirty rap. Uh, because, again, we, we do. There is a profit motive there. There is a service motive there that we yeah. cannot ignore. But... The reality is it's not necessarily different for internal SMEs either. I've seen internal SMEs that suffer from two things. One sometimes is maybe they don't have all the information to solve the problem. And there's a lot of pressure there to feel like I'm supposed to know this, yeah. but I really don't know everything about this. Yeah. And more importantly, the decisions they make have consequences that are sometimes more real and direct on their integrity programs. You're shaking your head. Yeah. I just, I, I think the risk, the not... Not the risk, but rather the susceptibility of, again, as an SME, if someone labels you an SME, whether you're internal or external, there's a, a, a legitimate pressure, almost even a social pressure, to be able to add value. And, yep. and that complicates things. And, I think, and I think FEMSA said it, right? Um, I'm not going to verbatim it in, the, in, the, in, in RIN2 information, but what they say is it's while industry communicates certain qualifications and, and addressing SME bias, they say that as a result of inspections, um, incident investigations, that they just don't see that being the case, right? That there is a clear need of having the work of SMEs checked. And again, what I want to get back to is we find that in 9712. I mean, in 917, right? 192.917, which is around threat identification and data integration and data supplementing through SME. But I do think that we should expect that FIMS is going to carry that same expectation into the role of an SME in things like 712. And in, in addition, I want to speak about one other aspect where bias comes in yeah. um, that's, that's a, a little more indirect, which is a lot of times SMEs even has that word expert. There's a, a notion known as expert bias mm. where as an expert, sometimes you're not willing enough to think of yourself as wrong. 
And that's something that I always yeah. have to be cognizant of. And I used to tell we had a lot of younger engineers that worked with me at Rosen, and I'd always yeah. tell them, you are welcome to walk in this office and disagree with me, and I want to hear you out. Oh, I had a lot of experience with that, where you'd have somebody that maybe had a couple more years' experience with you as a consultant, and Absolutely. you ask them to do something, and well, when you're just often, because, just when you're because often as wrong as you are, you need somebody to correct Just because they're you. the expert, it's so hard to get them to think of things differently. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know what? On that note, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to jump in after the break a little bit talking about uh, FEMSA's requirements on SMEs and dig into that. We'll be right back here. We're here to, ah, after we hear a word from uh, one of our sponsors. Thanks. Hi, I'm Kara Turner. I am the managing director and co-founder of ADV Marketing. We get the honor of working with Rhett and Christopher to produce this crazy podcast and also work with them on any other initiatives that they have when it comes to marketing. And if you know them or are listening to this podcast, you know that it gets pretty crazy around here. So we have a lot of fun with them. ADV Marketing is a full-service business-to-business marketing agency. Um, we specialize in service companies and technology companies. So if you are enjoying listening to this podcast and the fun that they're having, reach out to us and see how we can make your marketing fun. Welcome back to Pipeline Things, the dive into Rintu of the updated gas rule and our discussion of SMEs here uh, with Chris and I. And so we, we jumped into uh, where we left you right before the break yeah. to pick up briefly was talking about the reality of bias. And I shared with you that again, my position as a, as a consultant and an SME is that bias is real. Yep. And our clients, um, I, I really hope that you guys hear that. Recognize that yes, you, you do hire experts who are very talented. We do have many times a lot of information. We can serve you well, but we do have biases, and those motives yeah. are real. Um, FEMSA gets into uh, some things that they see as controls over that bias, yeah. right? Which I thought was interesting, and 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 what they ultimately end up inputting into yeah. Ren two of the rule is it says control measures may include training of SMEs, yep. which I think is interesting, mm -hmm. or the use of outside technical experts to assess yeah. the quality of processes and judgment of the SMEs. Um, there's actually more language in the preamble around that where they talk yeah. specifically about third-party reviews. I think uh, training of SMEs to recognize bias is one that I thought was 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 interesting. Uh, I, 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 I question how effective a training program would be dependent upon the SME receiving it, which as I mentioned, I think some SMEs may be more receptive to that than others. Uh, and I also think, you know, the one that I've seen that I, I do actually support, and I will say unbiased, unabashedly, if you want to know whether or not you got the best assessment, get a second third party to look over it. it it's unequivocally the most expensive but it's the best. And I, 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 in my career, have been through this multiple times, and I hate it. Where you're mm. sitting down, because I'll tell you, the position you love to play is the third-party reviewer oh, yeah, of the SMEs. Oh, just challenging someone else's work. It's just seagull yeah. engineering. You just fly in and just poop all over it. What? What? That's seagull engineering. It's great. That's I can see you it. enjoying that, actually. No, actually, no, really. I, try to, I, look, I try to bring value from it, because I recognize that much of what we do is subjective. So what yeah. I always try to do for the operator is be real in... Hey, I could interpret this differently, but maybe here's the validity to what they did. Understand yeah. the opposite viewpoint. That's what I think a good third-party person will do. But I have been on the other side 
where somebody dug in their heels just to disagree with me for the sake of disagreeing with me to the point where the operator said, you know what, we actually appreciate your opinion. You go ahead and put that in your own report and we're just going to close this out. Uh, yeah. And that's unfortunate because literally it turns into a massive yeah. dogfight. It could become a debacle. Yeah, but it, it, I will say this much. I made yeah. sure my I's were dotted and my T's were crossed on every single piece of that assessment, every input, every word in the report. A lot of references. Oh, this is where I got it from. Because I'm like, wow, they're out to make from. me look bad. I mean, so, that's their so sole you'd, mission. You'd be one of those guys that has like four pages of references. Dude, at the it was back like it was like a 200-page report <laughs> when I was done, man. Because I mean, they were just drilling me on everything. Yeah. So, um, so in my opinion, again, the most expensive way, but it is an effective way. I just don't know that it's needed every single time. Yeah. Well, FIMSA is, is a bit explicit as to what they're asking for. And I think it is, it is worth reading the, the comments and FIMSA's response as it relates to um, SME input. It, it is worth a read. We're, we're talking about it here, and I think we cover almost all the topics within it, but it, it is worth a read. And, uh, a big part of what FIMSA wants, and, and this is my opinion, uh, we don't have enough you know, evidence since the RIN2 has come out, right? We don't have any results of inspections, but I think something that operators should expect is that uh, in the next inspections, you know, the, in, the, in your audits, for example, that they're going to ask you, you know, where are you using SMEs? Is it in supplementing data? Is it making decisions? And then they're going to ask you, what are their qualifications? And then what's your review process, right? How are you reviewing that they are qualified to serve in that capacity, right? So they explicitly say it and, and, and they give examples of that as they say, you know, do they have sufficient on the job training? You know, is it that they have certain experience? And um, I think operators, if you haven't been doing that yet, it's something you should really start looking into, right? Identifying where your SMEs are used, how you're using them and then what qualifies them and that being documented. So it's interesting, it says to the degree that Subjective data from SMEs must be used. SIMSA would require that the operator programs include specific features to compensate for SME bias. This is in the preamble. Yeah. Including training SMEs to recognize or avoid bias, right? So that's how they define yeah. that SME training in the preamble. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm just, a yeah. question, Chris, do you think, I think you should have to go through SME bias training. <laughs> I think I, here at D2 Integrity, we should have nah. SME bias training. We should, we should, no, we should do it live as part of these podcasts. Ooh. If you had a scenario, how would you take it? And oh, then there you go. Wow. We could demonstrate if I have bias I wonder, or not. I wonder what that would look like. Yeah, that'd be, it'd be great if you guys gave us an example. Like, Christopher, what would your example be? If I had these two tools to run, which one would you take? Oh. And, then they could, and, and then they could seagull engineer me and f find out why I chose the decisions I did. But I think in all of that, anyway, <laughs> training is also too something that you, you, know, you kind of mentioned a little bit. You kind of got into a kick on the behaviors of an yeah. SME or the profile of an SME. I think that's fundamental um, and it's interesting because I struggle a bit yep. with that I view SME as what kind of knowledge you have I think people deploy it different ways yeah I, I'll say much. I think there can be very good SMEs and very poor SMEs yep a good SME may be receptive to feedback a poor one may not be but they're both SMEs yeah here's I, I guess I, I want, I've been wanting to ask you this question so I'll do it I'll, I'll put Live? you on I'll put you on the Great. hot seat first right define an SME if however you choose to do that what makes an SME in your own words, you don't have to like make some formal lists. In your own words, no, I, what's an SME? I think I like to rely on an, an SME is somebody who has specific knowledge of a subject, yep. either broad or very, very focused, such that they can provide guidance to help make informed decisions. I think the challenge, whenever you ask me that, I immediately think of, hey, well, what makes you qualified? 
The qualification, I truly believe, is subjective. I believe the SME themselves has to recognize. This kind of goes back to the, the, the engineering code of ethics, yep. right? You will only practice in areas with which you are competent. You have to know where your competency exists and where the limits are, yep. right? So operators will often hear me tell them this on a phone call. You're operating dangerously close to the limits of where I consider my expertise to be. Yes. And I will offer you an opinion on this, but you need to recognize I have limited expertise in this area. And I really try hard to let operators know that I'm there. Yeah. And, and so let's dig into that, right? So you said expertise. Put more words behind that. What right. do you mean by expertise? So I would tell operators, if you ask me a question about dents, I am can answer you a lot of questions about it. You asked me a question about... So expertise, you have expertise. I've done... What's the substantiation for that? Tons of analyses. Mm -hmm. I've done tons of full-scale testing. I've written and read lots of papers, worked with many operators. I've seen dents in different forms. I've seen where you can get critical ones. I've seen what matters and what doesn't matter. I've evaluated dents not just from one vendor, but from many vendors. I've done comparisons across vendors. I've looked at dents mm -hmm. through a lot of different lenses. I, I didn't hear you say lessons learned. Well, you... Through that, I would say that you you learn lots of lessons, yeah. right? Like so, for a long time, look, I don't mind saying, stress concentration factors I've been really, really a big proponent of, yeah. right? It wasn't until probably about two years ago where somebody challenged with data how maybe how those could be influenced by internal pressure, and I had to take a step back and be like, wow, something I've kind of fundamentally helped to has been challenged a little bit. I need to dig deeper in that and said, oh yeah, here are the situations under which it can actually matter. Yeah. But you kind of have to be willing to learn and, and recognize when you're wrong. But lessons learned come up by just uh, digesting and uh, gathering information. So that, that's, where I, that's kind of what I wanted to get into, right? So when I think of an SME, I feel like, again, you had a lot of your career outside of pipeline integrity as a consultant, right? Where I've been kind of born and raised in pipeline integrity and, and now serving as a consultant. And for me, there's always this compliance component and really honed in integrity. So when I think of an SME, I, I do break it up in at least two different groups. What, uh, the first question I ask is, it's, what is the purpose of the SME in an integrity perspective? Are you providing me data and information or are you trying to help me make a decision? So that's kind of my first well, step. Don't data and information eventually lead to the decision anyway? Yeah, but those can be two different people. Ah, fair point. Okay. Right? So it goes back to the whole concept of like a corrosion technician in the field giving me empirical data or observations and then a different person helping me understand what my threat susceptibility is or how much conservatism I need in my assessment. Right, so that's kind of the first thing. So I always have to qualify what am I trying to achieve and what is the profile of that SME. Right, so it's very difficult to just go to one person assume they're going to be able to help you in that full cycle of integrity management for a threat. So that's my first component. So then if I think of an SME, you, you said this, right? And I, I honed in on lessons learned is it's, I think there is a behavioral component to it, right? And, and I think we need to be careful when we say that because um, it gets more complicated and these are softer things, but like, does your SME have the right personality traits, right? Um, to be a good SME to be a, to be, a to be a good one. To, Maybe to not be, to be an SME. They yeah, may have expertise. They and, may not and, be a good and one. And that's kind of what I'm getting to, right? So as you're looking at your SMEs and you're being, you're being vulnerable and you're being honest with yourself in your program and your organization and you have SMEs listed, it's really this component of saying, is it the right SME, right? And, and you want to fill them internally as best as possible. Uh, but often that's when you start finding you know, the need to go external. It's <laughs> and, and hold on, I want to tie this in. And that's where training comes in, right? So there's always this cost perspective. The external SME may be expensive, but I, I, I don't know if you, you, you'll resonate with this, but I think you will. We say this often and again, we want to solve new problems. 
right? So you hire us one or two projects, but ultimately our knowledge should transfer to your team, and that is part of on-the-job training, right? So you might have to hire an external SME for a while until that knowledge transfer happens, and then you're no longer dependent on that external SME, and you can now own that in, inside. I don't like want to say, maybe as you should use as a gauge is, does your SME ever admit when they're wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, might be, that might be a yeah, good you ever, indication. Well, I guess you didn't say you were wrong. You said you considered uh, it on I, the I, 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 SEFs. I, no, I have, I have, I, no, that was just one example of where I had to learn, and you said, you know, integrate yeah. lessons learned. Yeah. Uh, but no, I've, I've definitely had situations where, where I've been wrong. Oh, no, th that is the worst feeling. When, when a client catches you when you're wrong, that's but uh, not like spelling horrible. stuff, right? We're talking like objective results, no, right? No, not like I'm spelling just when you're people's names in a report all the time. All we the got time, one yeah. today. Good, good grief. And it is always good when operators, you know, have that diligence. It keeps us sharp. Yeah, no, for sure. You you should absolutely be able to approach your SMEs. But I was just thinking, you know, one of the, one of the operators that's a friend. He actually mentioned because uh, it's a small community sometimes among some of yeah. the the SMEs, and he said, you know, we don't choose to work with that particular. Uh, SME on this type of project because they're not collaborative enough for what we need. Mm -hmm. we, we use them on projects where we don't need a high level of collaboration because yeah. they keep their stuff close to themselves. Ah, it's interesting, right? Yeah. So, so coming full back circle, I would say in, in my mind, it's, you know, when I think of an SME, I have to think about what's the responsibility that you're asking them for? Um, this is my perspective. Do they have the behavioral traits that you would want in an SME? Um, what is their formal training, not just experience, but rather where they've had lessons learned, like an environment to have lessons learned, and that could be on the job or in a classroom, and then, and then experience absolutely, because if you don't have the experience, then you don't have the opportunity to have lessons learned. So I, in my mind, I would say that's probably yeah, how, how we yeah, get I'm to I'm just going to say, unfortunately, I think it's going to be very difficult yeah. to document that, right? It's kind of like you, you give a specification for an ILI tool, and people always ask me, how do I validate bending strain? I'm like, it's really tough to do. It's yeah. actually tough to validate dents. Sometimes it's going to be tough to validate that, right? And so I, I joked with you because when people have asked me that, sometimes I say, well, you know, I've joked before that I have a PE license, but I remember the first time I, I mm. served as an expert witness, <laughs> And uh, the it, it was actually an arbitration panel, and the leader of the arbitration panel was going to ask me a question. He said, "Look, I just I appreciate the fact you have a PE license." He said, "I want you to know that that doesn't mean anything to me. I think anybody can take a test and get a piece of paper. Yeah. So I really want to know why you think you're an expert." And after you like realize you're in front of an arbitration yeah. panel, that <laughs> but it's valid, right? So that's the difference between qualification and true. being an expert, or another way to say it is being qualified and being competent, right? And, and the cool thing is it's, I, I think coming back to this, FIMS is specific in that they want operators to have that defined now, right? Almost like a resume per se, right? You almost have to start thinking of this matrix of where do you use SMEs, how are you using them, and then who those people are by name and title, and then what qualifies them to be an SME on that subject, right? And I think that's the big takeaway. Right, so I want to tackle this back full circle, Chris. I'm going yeah. to ask two things to get yeah. your input on. One is we didn't see so much information provided in REN1 where we yeah. saw the first drop of SMEs, right? Yeah. Um, but you believe what's been written here yeah. will be applicable to SMEs as it pertains to REN1 as well? Yeah, I, I think that this will be one of those, it, it's a potential for one of those um, sessions of, a, of an inspection by a regulator in your integrity program where they're going to ask about SMEs. And I don't think it's going to be specific to 917 and threat identification. I think it'll be comprehensively around integrity management as yeah, a whole. I, I, 
I just really wonder how many operators have been asked to justify their SMEs. Yeah, I can see that coming. Yeah. How are you going to justify and qualify your SMEs? I, Chris, I bet it's a yeah. question that we start getting at some point. Yeah. I think people are going to begin uh, wondering about this. I'm, I'm actually thinking I need to prepare to answer this. Cause <laughs> I don't know well, that I... Well, well, one thing I would say is it's, um, you know, we do this a lot, right? We, we'll help operators augment their integrity procedures, right? Like, hey, yeah. you know, we want to start using... Um, ILI data to accomplish this goal, right? Or we've traditionally been doing this, but it's not in our procedure, right? So one of the things you'll hear us say a lot of times is it's take credit for what you're already doing. Right? You just need to document it, yeah. right? And so one of the things that we all generally have been behaviorally trained with since the early days of integrity management is if you didn't document it, you didn't do it, right? So I would say for a lot of operators, this could be a change. For a lot of operators, this is just about documenting it. So, Excellent. so as we wrap this up, I'm gonna yeah. come back full circle. Yeah. Chris, since we've been here, the score is now five to one. Wow. As the SME for <laughs> it's, All it's Matters cool. World Cup in the Dotson household, what went wrong here? I don't think anything went wrong. I think, I think, Wait, I think, I think five Vegas, to one is a blowout. I think Vegas would say that uh, they expected Portugal to win again. I didn't check. Um, I did think it was really interesting that they held Ronaldo to start the game. That way it, it inspires like a collaborative approach versus having like a hero concept. Um, what I would also say is it's uh, behaviorally, it's, again, we didn't watch the game. You kind of wonder if Switzerland just fell apart after they realized maybe the game what was out of reach. What qualifies you to make these assessments? We're going to need somebody out there who is a third party to provide an independent review. I haven't watched the game. Christopher's I didn't even watch the game. To let us know if he is biased against either Portugal or Spain. Well, being that my son's first name is Leo, I, I, I'm, I'm, I bet that would be pretty interesting. What does that have to do with Portugal or Spain? Not Never Spain. mind. Not Spain. Ronaldo, Leo, who's the best oh, player ever? Oh, that's Spain. It's Portugal and Switzerland. Yeah, I didn't yeah, get the teams yeah, right. That's all right. Spain's I am not qualified to review Christopher <laughs> as an SME. But, hey, I do want to say thanks for joining us. We have one more episode we're going to dive into Rintube. Yeah. And, again, we want to thank you guys for joining us on this, this arc here uh, in 2023 with Pipeline Things. I am your host, Rhett Dotson, and my co-host, Mr. Christopher DeLeon. And in two weeks, we will see you again. Thanks for joining us.